You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, guys? Mm. Hey, Kyle. How's it going? I'm glad you didn't forget my name this time. (laughs) What's your preferred general designation? Y'all, guys, dudes, bros, bros and sisters? I'm a big fan of bros. I bet you are. What's up, bros? (laughs) On today's episode, episode, me and the bros, uh, me and my homies are going to look at the Apostles' Creed and ask, what will Christ do? Guys, this is episode 60. Oh my gosh. We're 60 episodes in. How's that feel? It feels like about 59 more episodes than I thought we would do. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. Hey, something I want to talk about that we don't talk about a lot. We talk a lot lot about what we do at the village. Man, I want to celebrate something with you. This past week, it's recording Mm -hmm. from this past week, but we're a bit past that now. You planted your church a year ago, Kyle. Yeah. And our listeners don't get to hear don't get to hear this a lot, but I've been so encouraged by what God's done Thanks, in your ministry. In You're Richardson. a one year old. It's one. One. One year old. Yes. Can, can you give us like just tell us what is what is God doing at Mosaic? Oh man. Um yes. So there has been first off, thank you. Um it's been a lot of fun. It's been the hardest year of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh and the most fun. So um those it's been two sides of the same coin. Um, what is God doing? Well, God has raised up some incredibly faithful leaders. I mean, um, our the the staff that He's provided for us has just been a tremendous blessing. I work with some just truly exceptional staff people. But even beyond that, with the good work that they're doing, we have these faithful elders that God has raised up um, that are leading and that are teaching and preaching and caring and shepherding and praying for our people. And that has been a joy to not be alone. We just installed. Um, gosh, 12 men and women into Deacon mm-hmm. in, uh, in August. And that's been just an absolute delight um, to get to see them already deployed, caring for vulnerable, pe- vulnerable people in the life of our church. Um, it's been incredible to see just God work in our members, whether through evangelism and people coming to know Jesus mm-hmm. and begin to follow Jesus for the first time or leading tables at men and women's Bible mm-hmm. study and helping people who have never studied the Bible together learn how to read and study the Bible or seeing them do like a couple of nights ago, I was driving around the day for national night out, which was a couple Tuesdays ago or last Tuesday. And our neighborhood was hosting a national night out. Lauren and I were helping with that, but I was driving around and I knew of like five other groupings of our people hosting national nights out in our community, seeing their signs and then preparing for that. Um, And so that's just been really sweet. It's just to see our people begin to love and to serve and to bless our community. uh, And uh, it's been really cool. I got to tell a story on you. Um, I had the, chance last week to have coffee with one of your staff members. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, maybe I'm about to learn about this seedy underbelly (laughs) of Mosaic Church. And instead a year in, and I have been a part of a church plant, so Uh I know how tough that first year is firsthand. And she, all of the things that she wanted to ask me about were forward-looking hopeful like it wasn't oh my gosh wait until I tell you what happened next it was so encouraging to me to hear Mm. just the energy that she had a year in and the vision that you've communicated um to your staff and obviously to your people too so it's just fun to watch it's been really the Lord has been very gracious and generous to us Mm. almost every time I think about Mosaic there's there's lots of things that I think about but I think back to our conversation when I was interviewing you for the role here Uh 
and I asked you the question, what's the one thing that would get you to leave this job? And you said, I mean, this is my dream job. I want to come do this. The only thing that I would like, other than doing theological education and discipleship in the local church and then at the village church. Yeah would be if God calls me to plant a church in Richardson. And I thought to myself, there is no way he's doing that. <laughs> well, and then like JT and I basically dogged all over church planning to try to keep him here. Yeah, as for long like a year, we're like, we're like don't is do that? that. That's the worst. Is that you really biblical? You will fail. That- yeah. Uh, but brother, like, I just want to commend you to, to our audience because the village is passionate about church planning. Yeah. We're in the season of multiply rolling off. Like in the past month, we've rolled off our Plano campus to citizens, our Dallas yeah. campus to Northway. Yeah. Uh, Travis Cunningham planted Story Church in Rancho Cucamonga. Rob Daniels of Christ Freedom. Yep. Yep. There's, just, the there's just so yep. many stories of God's faithfulness. Uh, and Mosaic is one of those stories mm-hmm. of God's faithfulness to the village, God's yeah. faithfulness through you to the people of Mosaic. Uh, and a year in, man, I just want to celebrate Thanks, what the man. Lord's done. Yep. It's been really, really awesome to watch. It's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still shouldn't have done it. You should have stayed. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're still the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. We, we, I hope you know we miss we miss you here. Yes. But yeah. it's so fun to get to do this. Yeah, it really is. Okay. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, it's cool. I was telling our church this past week, we get to stand in. Uh, one of the things we're doing is we're going through the sermon series we're in right now because we're going through the whole story of Scripture is on a about every month now in one of our services, we read and recite the Apostles' Creed together. That's so fun. And so it's been fun to get to recite the Apostles' Creed, uh, read that together, allow that to form us as a people, but then get to be going through it with you guys here on the podcast. And so today we're back to the Apostles' Creed. And um, so let me just read it for us if I can, Um, just to kind of, you know, just continue to get this in our muscle memory here as we listen to it. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of the of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So we have been journeying through the Apostles' Creed, using it as a grid or a paradigm to discuss some of the things that the church has historically believed. Uh, and so we have covered questions like, who is God the Father? And well, how did God create the world? And we've just kind of just gone through slowly and methodically. We talked about belief and faith and who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did. And now we're turning today to ask the question, what will Christ do? And so I, I, the last, if you've been following along, then you know the last podcast we had Matt, Dr. Matt Emerson on, and we spent a lot of time talking about descended to hell or descended to the dead mm-hmm. because that is one of the more enigmatic parts of the Apostles' Creed where there can be a lot of confusion and uncertainty and honestly just a little bit of, you know, <laughs> uh, unknown, so to speak. But I actually felt like uh, I went immediately afterwards and pre-ordered his book because I was like, (laughs) that was the most helpful thing I've ever heard on that topic. And I was like, I need to read that book. It's one of those moments where he says it, you can tell he's talked about it a hundred times, but you feel like he's just putting it together right in the moment. You're like, oh, that was really, really good. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was good. But we, because of that, because we spent so much time with him, we had to rush through some of the parts on the end. So today will be a little bit of a hybrid. We're going to really start with talking about uh, rising from the dead and then from there move forward into what will Christ do. So let's just start there. When the creed says, rose again from the dead, Mm -hmm. what do we mean? 
I mean, we mean bodily, physical resurrection. This isn't myth. This isn't some kind of spiritual resurrection. That the body that was crucified on the cross, that was buried in a tomb, has breath again. Yes. There is a heartbeat again. And he's showing us, I mean, there's, gosh, there's so much I, want to, I would love to talk about here. But at the most basic level, it's showing that the greatest enemy of all, death, has been defeated. Right. That death went to death in the grave. That Christ took upon the thing that was meant to destroy us forever is now put to death forever. Yes. And he has been victorious over our greatest enemy. Yeah. So when we say that he uh, uh, rose again, uh, is Christ's resurrection the first resurrection? Because like with Lazarus, for example, all often people are like, well, it's, it, wasn't, it right. wasn't really the first, was it? Because Lazarus r- rose again. But those are different. Th- they're different. They're different. But why are they different? Why is this resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, why is it utterly unique? Yeah, so Lazarus died again. Yes. This is just a picture of what was to come, that yes. Jesus is bringing healing to the world and that he's going. So Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb and says, you know, come out, Lazarus, and he does. Mm-hmm. But Lazarus eventually goes back in. Yeah. Uh, I've heard somebody say that Lazarus rest- was restored to what was. Christ was resurrected to what will be. That is a mm-hmm. great way That's to say good. it. And so 1 Corinthians 15 talks about Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection. So he's now the ascended Lord, which I know we're getting to. Yeah. He's pouring out his Holy Spirit almost like a gardener would do yeah. and planting seeds of resurrection all over the world. And one day, every single one of the tombs of those who are in Christ will burst forth as gloriously as Jesus did as not the first fruits, but the fruit of what Christ has done in the cross and resurrection. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's, yes, yes that the resurrection of Christ is unique. It's mm-hmm. utterly unique, and it is a picture of what will come. It's unique only in terms of it being first. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. It's a resurrection to what will be. And uh, this work of Christ Jesus in defeating death, um, what, if somebody hears that now, they would be like, well, death isn't defeated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like, like when they hear the resurrection... Mm-hmm. Over through death. Death mm-hmm. has been defeated. Mm-hmm. Well, in what way has death been defeated? Right? Because it's, it, it certainly doesn't seem like it's been Right. Defeated. People are still dying. Yes. Yeah. I, I was thinking as you guys were talking about Genesis 3 and the serpent offering the fruit. And he says, you know, that you will not surely die. And then Adam and Eve eat the fruit and they actually don't immediately die. Yeah. And so they, they assume that God is a liar. And how in the cross we are offered fruit from the tree of life, that the you know cross is the, is the type of the tree of life. And um, in the day that we eat of it, we will surely live. Yeah. But we do not immediately mm-hmm. see that happen. We right. don't see the resurrection of the body as an immediate reality. So I think there's a there's a converse relationship there. Just as it was absolutely true that when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we would surely die. And then the rest of the Bible is bearing out the truth of that, that it is, is, is absolute certainty that in the day that we partake of the tree of life, we will surely live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 15 says it this way when the perishable puts on the imperishable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's this future sense still that that, that which is perishable, all of us, mm-hmm. because of the tree of the knowledge of good mm-hmm. and evil, one day we will put on what is mm-hmm. imperishable, but that day is coming. Mm-hmm. It says the moral puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So this is a victory that's entirely accomplished. 
all of our battles have been won. And Jesus is continually showing us that that battle will be won. And one day that victory will be shown to be complete Mm -hmm. in the resurrection of his people. Vindication. Yeah, vindication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that we've talked on here before and it's, you know, often said that there's this tension um, that we find ourselves in between the already and the not yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that the power of sin, death, have been defeated, yeah. but their presence remains, yeah. and that there is a day coming mm-hmm. when even the very presence of them will be removed. Right. I like this idea. I might have gotten this language from you, Kyle. Maybe you, Jen. I surely stole this from somewhere. Maybe it was a book or something. We don't want to live in resurrection because that is kind of an over-realized eschatology. We live in the power of Jesus' resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're living towards ours, yeah. mm-hmm. believing that it's one day coming, that that all of the Christian life is a life lived towards resurrection, knowing that one day, if the Lord tarries, we will all taste the bitter sting of death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our loved ones will. Mm-hmm. The people who we do ministry with will. Like the reality mm-hmm. is, is that this is all temporary. It's fading. It is perishable, as we just heard Paul say in First Corinthians. But one day, the things that are in Christ will be imperishable. And our life is to live towards that reality. Tell me the practical implications. Like, give give me a practical example of how living toward resurrection would look. Yeah, I mean, it could be, as sim- I'm sure you have some, Kyle, but like the one that comes to my mind first is the reality that I will, in all likelihood, be standing graveside someday at somebody I love. And to live in it would be a false promise because mm-hmm. they're not resurrected. Mm-hmm. And so to genuinely learn how to grieve right. the reality right. of death in this mm-hmm. world and to sit weeping, saying mm-hmm. this was not meant to be, that whether it's my mom or my dad or my grandparents or a loved one or a coworker, or, or one day it's going to be myself and reminding people around me that for me, this isn't victory. Mm-hmm. Going into the ground is not new life. What Barry Jones, one of our teachers in the training program, uh, highlights uh, Isaiah chapter 25 when it says death will be swallowed up in victory. Mm-hmm. It also says that in 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. 25. And, and death is God's enemy, not a friend. We should never call an a friend, what God calls an, an enemy. enemy right. And so when we're sitting at gravesides, when we're sitting in hospital rooms, mm-hmm. we should be the ones grieving. Yeah. We don't we don't want to celebrate what is a curse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're also the ones who stand who stand with tears in our eyes saying, But thanks be to God who mm-hmm. one day is going to fully give us vindication, the victory that is ours in mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. So we grieve. Yeah. But we don't grieve like those who don't have hope yeah. because we have hope. Then there's the issue. Sorry, I cut you off. Did you have a... Well, I was just going to say that I think that the resurrection um, or sometimes what we've we've called resurrection realism Mm -hmm. um, allows us to defy or to not fall prey to three of the most popular false stories that are kind of implicit in our culture. One would be utopianism Mm -hmm. that essentially... Uh, we can make the world into what the what we want the world to be and mm-hmm. it will be better. That's utopianism. Or dystopianism, which is that all we can do is make the world worse and it's just going to get bad. Mm-hmm. Or the, the one that's definitely most dominant and lives between the two, progressivism, which is that the world is going to progressively get better and our contributions to it will be the most meaningful pacing of it getting progressively better. Whereas the resurrection says there is a future home. It will be better than it is today, but it's the work of God, which is contra utopianism. Yeah. It takes the good in that worldview or in that false story and says, it's going to happen. But <laughs> God's going to make it happen. Uh, dystopianism, uh, the idea that there is brokenness, it allows us, the resurrection allows us to look 
uh, at the reality of the brokenness of our world and to not lose hope, but to defy it with the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. And then progressivism to believe that, yes, God is bringing the world to its proper end. Um, and he is choosing to do that through, you know, human people. Um, but that fundamentally it's a work of God that mm-hmm. he's bringing it to the place it needs to go. Mm-hmm. So I think the resurrection defies a lot of temptations that we feel to be despondent or to be overly rosy eyed when it comes to the brokenness of the world. Right. Yeah. And the body that he is raised in is raised incorruptible to, mm-hmm. to take the King James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and our bodies will be raised incorruptible. And I, I'd be curious to hear how you see the implications of that idea hitting us in the way that we relate to our bodies now mm-hmm. in the way that we think about our future bodies. We have a lot of body mm, confusion, yeah, I would say, in the, in, sure. the, in the culture that we're in, whether it has to do with standards of beauty or what it means to be healthy. All, how do those things relate to the idea that there will one day be for us a body like his that is incorruptible, that is incapable of decay or failure? That's a good question. That's a great question. There's I mean, <laughs> like so many threads. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say a couple things that we know is that the body will be free from the, uh, won't be free from limitations. We were created to be limited and that's a good a thing. A body by definition is a set of limits. I think that's a significant thing for people yes. to, mm-hmm. to meditate it's, on. It's that we won't, we will no longer be uh, afflicted by the physiological maladies of sin, which would be things like cancer, mm-hmm. AIDS, mm-hmm. right? Um, heart disease. Aging? Um, aging is probably a, a part of that, yeah. Um, that it seems like one of the main reasons that Adam and Eve are exiled is because God did not want them to eat of the tree of life and live And be forever. frozen, yeah. Be frozen, broken forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, we, won't, we don't become eternal. We, we become forever mm-hmm. incorruptible. Mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking about this idea recently. Todd Wilson, one of the guys that runs a, a, a center called the Center for Pastor Theologians, it's an organization I'm a part of, wrote a book called Mere Sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the, obviously this take on C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity, and he's talking about how Christians through kind of um, uh, over the last really 20 or 30 years have even unintentionally adopted a set of sexual ethics, morals, and understanding of sexuality that, that is totally foreign to the historic Christian faith. And he grounds it and roots it in the the bodily and gendered and ethnic resurrection of Christ, that Jesus doesn't cease to be all the things that he was ontologically in the resurrection Yes. Mm-hmm. For example, he's not a resurrected, odd, gen- non-gendered person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's resurrected as a male. Yep. He's resurrected as Jewish, yep. and he's resurrected as circumcised. Yep. Like those are those are mm-hmm. things that that I think are really valuable and important for us. Maybe in some of the the, the conversations around gender and sexuality today, yep. that that God intended for our sexuality to be good. It's it's something that is essentially true about who I am and who you are, Kyle, and who anybody who's listening to this, we have a, a sexuality and gender. And those things will also be true about us in the resurrection. Yep. And therefore, are meant to be uh, celebrated and guarded uh, in our world today. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 
10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. So we talk about um, the resurrection. He rose again from the dead on the third day. And then the creed goes on to say that he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So, JT, you've, you've called the ascension either you took it from somebody or you used it yourself. I've been attributing it to you nonstop. Me too. That's non-stop, right, me too. Yeah. So. I, think it, I think it's me. Sounds right. right. Really? Well, I don't know. Well, that's <laughs> really good, JT. Thanks. He calls it the forgotten act of Christ, the ascension. Yeah. So why does the gospel fall apart? We've talked, And we've talked at length on this podcast. Yeah, about the we don't need to. So we don't need to belabor it. But why does the gospel, the good news of mm-hmm. Jesus, why does it fall apart without an ascended Christ? Well, why is the ascension crucial? Right. So all of what Jesus did was essential. Nothing that he did is non-essential, whether it's his incarnation, his perfect life, his death, his burial, resurrection, and ascension. I'm happy if I can get people in their gospel presentations to talk about the resurrection. Right. The good news is not that Jesus died. Mm-hmm. The good news is that Jesus overcame what death was meant to do to him. But not only that, he didn't just overcome it in a resurrection. He overcame it in a cosmic sense, in the ascension. And he's now Lord, not just over Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but over all of the heavens. And even more importantly than that, he shows us that humanity's primary dwelling place is meant to be the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He goes back through this curtain, through the veil, into the true temple the temple in the heavens where God reigns, where God exists and shows us that humanity's place where we will live forever is in the presence of God. And so uh, there's a book that I read recently on the Ascension. I just read part of it and it talks about how we will be welcomed by a human hand into the heavens. And it's what, this- What book is that? It's, I think it's Garrett Dawson on the, I think it just is Ascension. I forget yeah. the title of it, uh, but Garrett Dawson is his name. And he talks about this idea that we will experience a human hug mm. in a sense. Like this isn't some Gnostic is kind of a, a term for material, bad, spiritual good. Uh, Jesus's Ascension shows us that our materiality, like our, our physical bodies are good. They're meant to, like God made us this way. And in the Ascension, we see that God, that Jesus is still fully God, fully human, and shows us that that just like that, we are supposed to be in heaven. Also, Philippians chapter 2, I think, is important here. So Philippians 2, 1 through uh, 8, talks about uh, Jesus' humility. talks mm-hmm. about him taking upon, mm-hmm. even though he's in the form of God, he doesn't consider that something to be grasped, but rather he takes upon the form of a servant. He is uh, found in human form. He humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then verse 9, I just love that verse 9 says this, says, therefore, Mm -hmm. God highly exalted him. That is this beautiful contrast between our humiliation or our humility and our servanthood Mm -hmm. and our exaltation and and Christ's exaltation. So therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
So one more thing about why the ascension is important is that Jesus right now is reigning and ruling over every single atom, every single particle, molecule in the entire world. That regardless of how much craziness is in our lives right now, we get to look up to the hills. We get to look mm-hmm. up to the heavens. Lift up your eyes. Lift up our eyes and be reminded that God is bringing order out of the chaos of our lives. And we know that because Jesus is king. Yeah. All right. Now, I want to talk. We didn't have a time to do as much as we might have with the story of Stephen. But Stephen's story actually relates to this whole idea That's and right. to where the creed is <clears throat> going to go next about him coming to judge the living and the dead. Um Stephen lifts up his eyes and he sees this thing as a reality. He bears witness to it. He is a martyr to it. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God, the Father, embodied. And yet Jesus, unlike what the creed is telling us, is standing. Mm. And so there's been all of this discussion of like, why is he standing? He's supposed to be sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Like I've said that a million times and yet he's standing here. And what's commonly said is that he is standing to receive, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I don't mean to say that that's not what's going on. I think that's probably part of it. But um, one of the really cool things that came out when we were preparing the teaching was to read through Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus is telling the disciples to expect exactly what happens to Stephen. You know, he says, I'm sending you out um, uh, as... um, as sheep among wolves, uh, be innocent as be uh, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And then he says, "This is what's going to happen. You're going to go before people, and um, the Spirit will tell you what to say. They're going to beat you. Um, you know, you're going to you're going to be put to death." Uh, and then he says, "You should expect this because it's mm-hmm. the way that I was treated." And then he assures them that they're worth more than any sparrow that might fall. And the Lord has intimate view into that. So it's a very tender passage to read when you're mm. looking at the story of Stephen, who, for whom this is becoming his reality. But then his final words to the disciples in that passage in Matthew 10 in verse 32, is he says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. So when we see Jesus standing Mm -hmm. to receive Stephen, I don't think he's just welcoming him in. I think what you're seeing is Stephen has just been tried and found guilty without representation in the court of man and condemned. Mm -hmm. But what Jesus as his advocate is doing is standing so that he can represent him to be tried and be acquitted Mm. in the heavenly court. Yeah. That's good, Jen. And I, and you you read that and you realize he, he does that for all of us. That's right. Mm -hmm. Stephen is not receiving a special consideration here because he is a martyr. This is the welcome we receive Mm. into the presence of God. Yeah. Mistreatment, lies, betrayal, misunderstanding, all of those things, when they come on the account of Christ, will one day be vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. Romans 8, 34 says it this way. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, and he's now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Yeah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? He's resurrected yeah. and he is risen and he's at the right hand of the Father. Yeah. What could separate us from the love of an ascended king? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. And the creed here, uh, you guys are you guys have already gotten there, but the creed here is giving us lots of pictures of this authority. So like when it says one, we're getting some cool symmetry here in the creed as well. So like when you see 
um, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. Well, you, you've already heard that phrase, right? Mm -hmm. All the way up at the very beginning. I believe in God, God, the father Father almighty Almighty, Mm -hmm. creator of heaven and earth. So this is the son of God, Jesus ascended, having, uh, rose again from the dead, conquered death is now seated at the right hand of God, the father almighty. So a few things, one, it's God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. The Son of God is at his right hand, which is a which is like a, a common theme or idea picture for power mm-hmm. and authority. Mm-hmm. Right? And shared identity. And shared identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's seated, mm-hmm. which oftentimes theologians are going to point to you as rule, a, a rule yeah. and reign. Mm-hmm. That there's a depiction of rule and reign here, that he is mm-hmm. seated, that he, there is a sense in which the work is finished. The work is done. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the author of Hebrews wants to make the point that he is, while the, while the priest of old had to stand mm-hmm. to constantly make mm-hmm. intercession, to constantly offer sacrifice, mm-hmm. the Son of God, Jesus, is seated mm-hmm. and that his enemies have become a footstool. Why? Well, because he has done the work. Right. And this work is not work that is um, the work that is ongoing in Christ's heavenly session is the work of interceding and mediation on behalf of what he's already done. Right. Not that there is like, you know, out there trouncing new enemies. Um, And so we get these pictures of power seated right hand imagery at the right hand of the father almighty. But then it says this, the creed turns to a topic we do not want to discuss which is from there he will come to judge, which we're okay with that part, to judge the living and the dead. This is where, you know, I honestly sometimes, even whenever you hear recitation of the creed, because I, I hear it now pretty regularly, when the lowest volume in the room is this part right here. <laughs> I, I'm not lying. Like People are saying it, and I think they're realizing. Uh, do you have like a decibel meter up there? In your, no, 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 yeah. but just like I'm in yeah. the front of the room. I can feel like from there he will come to judge. it's like okay now we're talking about jesus and well what does this mean right when is he let's let's start let's kind of start high level (coughs) from there he will come when is he coming how is he coming nobody knows other than the father the son you don't have any you don't have any opinions on when we're this is the question of this is the millennial views i don't understand what you're talking about do that (laughs) i'm I'm not a pre-millennialist or a post-millennialist i'm a pan uh, it's uh, all gonna pan uh, out. Yeah, we play the wah, wah horn. Yeah, I, you, I, I actually did not come up with that joke, so please don't attribute that to me. I heard it from a really bad seminary professor. Uh, so I guess I'm one of those two. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I, don't, I, I have some opinions on this, uh-huh. but I. I'd actually be more interested in yours. Oh, of course, right? Because like, if somebody's gonna get blown up, you'd rather it be me. <laughs> uh, uh, from there, he will come. I mean, like when we think about when is he coming, we know that he's coming in the future. That's right. We can mm-hmm. say that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the creed is so far talked about past, mm-hmm. present. This is talking about what he's going to come into. Yes. Our mm-hmm. our line of sight is being changed. Mm-hmm. This is the not yet. And here's the thing: I get why when you're in a room and the, the the kind of the decibel level goes down a little bit on this part, but I I just want to maybe. We should be excited about this. Well, yeah. What is the misunderstanding? Why does it Why does it make people feel icky? From there he will come. Just that part alone is a disruption of, well, I've got stuff yet to do. Okay. I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's my life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm on my own timetable. We want to be masters of our own fate. Mm-hmm. The creed is saying, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Christ is coming. And mm-hmm. he's coming at a time that you don't know uh, on his own terms. Right? So that's a really good point because I was thinking you were just saying it starts to break down for people when we get to the part about being judgy. No, I think it starts to break down. Yeah, I think you're right. With just the idea of of longing for Jesus. Yeah. Because 
Uh, it would be great if you came when I was like 85, still yes. in good health. And I had lived this really full celebratory life. Yep. And done, mm-hmm. I'd when I had plenty of years to store up treasures on earth. Mm-hmm. And yes. then I could start thinking about storing them up in heaven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, you know the, the, the real, one of the great sadnesses of the global Western church that maybe will change in the next century, who knows, is that you can typically only long as deep as you've lamented. Mm-hmm. And in a privileged place, our lament, by and large, at least in the environments that we're operating in, our lament on a corporate level has been fairly shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't been marked by great seasons of suffering yeah. in the global Western church, with the exception of, uh, of uh, people groups that have been disenfranchised or yeah. purposefully oppressed. Well, and that's, I mean, it's the same thing with being raised incorruptible. Those who truly understand the significance of receiving an incorruptible body are those who are keenly aware of the corruptibility of the one in which they currently live. Yeah. yeah. So and this is there's a similar thing here. If you're living a life of relative comfort and celebration, then you might want him to delay. Mm-hmm. But if you're living a life of lament and mm-hmm. suffering and challenge and pain, then there's no greater hope mm-hmm. than he will come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that that's, it's good. I'm reading a book right now by Hans Borsma on the beatific oh, yeah. vision. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's a, it's a great kind of, I've not really explored the beatific vision in short is the moment or event of beholding Christ. Right. Uh, as supremely beautiful, and then the questions around like, is that into forever? What does what does it really mean to behold Christ? But the Christian does believe. I mean, there's, and scriptures are clear about this, regardless of your take on the beatific vision or what that will mean in terms of our actual seeing of Jesus. The Christian believes that Jesus is the thing, like that God is the gift, mm-hmm. right? Like that God is the best. Yes. yes, that it's he is, he is the reward. He as is he the says. he is the reward, and so uh, at the very least, his coming is good mm-hmm. because it means a greater enjoyment of him. Yeah, right. Um, how is he coming? So if he's coming in the future, how is he coming? Well, I don't understand what you're asking. Well, is uh, who is coming? Jesus is okay. How is he? How is he coming? Is he coming? Uh, through like, is it going to be a movement? Is it going to be no? I mean, he will bodily descend from the heavens. Okay, so there's a that he comes back embodied. Yeah, because how could he not? How could he not? And that's exactly what the angels say at his ascension. Mm-hmm. Why are you looking up into the heavens? He's going to descend the way he's the way he's left. Yeah, and so we're looking for this day for the heavens to be rent and for the for the sky to be opened and for our King to descend to reign and dwell and live with us forever with a new Jerusalem, with a new world, with a a perfected world. By the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are dodging the real the well, judgment. Yeah. I'll well, no, we're, we're coming to judgment right now. Oh, I mean, we're not. I just want to hurry it. up. I'm all about the judging. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we know. We no, get because there. I, I really do. I, I do think we're like, wait, now who who is he judging? Like what? Like yeah. not me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I always, if you you know, you might talk of the about the ascension as the forgotten act of Jesus, but I think his coming judgment is the forgotten aspect of his return yeah. or, the, or the one we most want to forget. Revelation 1, 7, um, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be amen. Yeah. Like I think when Christians speak of the second coming, we're like, and it's going to be party time. Mm-hmm. But the Bible is saying something else or at least something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, Second Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Yeah. But JT, I've received positional righteousness through sure. Jesus, so that is not for me. Well, no, I get to opt out of that. No, nobody opts out of the judgment of a holy. No, God. I. 
Because my judgment has been poured out on Christ. Uh, yes, it has in terms of the wrath at sin or the wrath against sin or the totality of God's divine wrath against sin. But in terms of the measuring of a life of obedience, that judgment has not happened. And it can't happen until the very end. That's one of the incentives of obedience. <laughs> is that it's God's, but this is something we don't talk about. We not, do not no, talk about it. And that's why I wanted to play devil's advocate on right, it a little bit. So like... Again, this gets back to an overall thing that many times on this podcast, we did it on the Sermon on the Mount, we've pushed on this, which is that if you try to take, make obedience, this kind of like, uh, maybe if you want to kind of thing, much of the Bible is going to become absolutely incoherent Mm -hmm. because God is absolutely 100% wanting his people to obey his word. Mm Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's not just the right way, it's the better way. It's also what we were created for. It's yeah. how we become fully human. Yeah, it's align- it aligns with created intent. Yeah. It leads towards what flourishing is in God's terms, mm-hmm. not on our own terms. Mm-hmm. And there is an eschatological or in times significance to this, which is that. Kyle, you defined the word. That I was did. really good. I, did I didn't it. prompt you. Well, that's because you've, you've done it many times. <laughs> It's wrote, but there is a sense. Now, there are a lot of different questions about what this will actually mean. Some people will go to the great white throne judgment and say the great white throne judgment is the judgment upon which all of a believer's actions will be weighed. Uh, what will what, what lasts or what kind of makes it through the purging fires will remain and what doesn't won't. Um, there's a lot of questions over to the manner of the execution here, mm-hmm. but the reality of it happening is indisputable. That does not mean that we are going to be judged that believers in Christ, those who have been by grace through faith in Christ, been united to Christ, are going to be judged and found wanting because Christ's gift to us, the merit of Christ, the victory of Christ, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. We have positional holiness. We do. We do. So at the very end, it's not as if we're going to come up short. Those who are in Christ, they're not going to come up short because they're not being judged on the basis of their good or bad alone, but on the righteousness of Jesus. That being said, part of the judgment is the manner of living of every individual believer. Sometimes I think one of the reasons I get hesitant talking about this just candidly is when you talk about judgment, people's first instinct isn't to be introspective, but to actually look around the room at others. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that judgment is uh, people who love judgment. You better watch. Yeah, yeah you, be, you better. You, but, but but Paul addresses this at the end of the letter of Romans when, yeah. he, when he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, mm-hmm. and he says part of of what you just said, Kyle, the main intention that that God is reminding us about the judgment seat of Christ isn't that God's coming just to judge others, but he's coming mm-hmm. to judge us. And so mm-hmm. he's a section in Romans 14 talking about don't pass judgment on others. It says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before mm-hmm. the judgment seat of God. Mm-hmm. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess. That's Philippians 2, mm-hmm. right? He's kind of doing a quote. Verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Uh, this how, is should, meant, how should we feel about that? I think sober. we should feel sober. Mm-hmm. Very sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we need to be reminded of the mercy of God, of mm-hmm. the love of Christ that will not separate us. That's what we just talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, one thing that I think we can over torque a little bit is think that Jesus, it's like the, almost like a Wizard of Oz scene. Like Jesus is what we see, but God's actually like something else. Yeah. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That mm-hmm. The God who's coming to bring judgment is Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. That God is like Jesus is. So he has mercy, he has compassion, he loves his people, he weeps over disobedience, but also has very real um, uh, 
wrath towards mm-hmm. disobedience. Mm-hmm. And very not not that there is no Christian that's going to experience the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. But it should always be a reference point. That's exactly right. The wrath that's of what God. Hebrews does the, is it keeps it that. warns us. The warning, it keeps us. the exhortation, right. and the warning are are paired up that's throughout exactly right. that book and in other epistles too. Yeah, and uh, but we we don't like the discomfort associated with it. And one of the ways that I have tried to help uh, when I'm teaching on these things to help people just exhale a little around this, like feel the soberness of it, certainly, but also understand that in the day <laughs> that. Um, everything you've done is weighed and it's clear that there was no way you were going to earn your salvation, that that will not be for you a moment where you cower before the Lord in abject shame. It will be an opportunity to celebrate the height and the depth and the width and the length of the grace that that in our lifetime, we don't assess this. Mm -hmm. We don't inventory the good and the bad. Only only if we do, it's usually in ways that are favorable. To us, that, that we, we go, it's for oh, somebody I think else. I'm doing okay, right? Uh, and one of the things that was helpful to me when I was reading, learning about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the commentators said, "I wish I could remember who it was." He said, "Hey, if you, we tend to be legalists with others and and grant grace to ourselves, but he's like, if we would flip that, we'd look a lot more like Christ. Like if we would be a legalist with ourselves, like hold ourselves to the standard first and give grace to others, which is not to say that legalism is good, but mm. just to make the point that hey, if you're going to be fastidious about obedience, start with yourself." Legalism isn't good, but the law is. Yeah, the law is good. That's right. And um, so I think that when when we get to this question of um, an inventory of the things that we've done, we will not analyze that very accurately Hmm. during the years that we have on, on this earth. And it's a mercy to us to be able to learn just how great grace was. I think, uh, I know we're covering these in future episodes for the Apostles' Creed, but it's also a reminder there's a consolation right after this verse. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is that we're not left to ourselves. And we'll get to that yeah. in, in the next episode on the Apostles' Creed, but, or then I believe in the church. Yeah. I believe in the, like there's, yeah. there is hope given to those of us who are sobered by the reality of judgment. Mm-hmm. Christian, if you're sobered by the reality of judgment in, mm-hmm. in your life and in the, in the, that's coming, is you, you need to be reminded that God has put people around you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the church so that you can persevere yeah. and so that you will persevere until the day of judgment. Yeah. That's good. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to slip back into Acts and we are going to meet Saul. Yeah. Paul? I mean, we'll 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 see. see. We'll see who we're going to encounter. See you next time. Grace and peace.